Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello. You are very welcome to The Tonight Show. Minister Martin's misfortune after Shuni Rahali's dramatic resignation. We preview Catherine Martin's upcoming appearance in front of the Oireachtas Media Committee tomorrow evening. I have absolute confidence in the work that she and her department does. And at all times, her and her department have looked to be clear and transparent in answering questions. Plus price wars as two energy companies announce a third price cut. We ask if the cost of living crisis is easing. And we speak to the Jerusalem Post journalist who has labelled Ireland hostile towards Israel and compared the Taoiseach to a flat earther. Well, it's a case of claim and counterclaim over what Minister Catherine Martin's department knew regarding the remuneration committee's sign-off on exit packages at RTE. Tomorrow, the minister will face scrutiny at the Oireachtas Media Committee after the chair of the RTE board dramatically resigned last Thursday night. The Taoiseach has expressed full confidence in the media minister. Well, joining me to discuss this further is Fine Gael Senator and MEP candidate Regina Doherty, Sinn Féin Senator Lynn Boylan, Executive Editor of the Irish Daily Mail, John Lee, and Chairman of the Communications Clinic, Terry Prone. You're all very welcome to the programme. Uh, John, I'm going to come to you first. We have 20 minutes here to, to discuss this, but I'm going to ask you to try and summarise, I suppose, where we are at since Thursday in a minute. Um... Well, I think there was a bit of a panic after Catherine Martin's, amongst the media and the political class, but after Catherine Martin's appearance on um, RTE primetime, because we had not seen much action from her in the pre previous nine months. And then suddenly she decided to undermine um, the chairman of RTE on air. But I think over the weekend it was very clear from all our cabinet colleagues that there was no matter what pedantry was was emerging about who knew what they felt that the star of RTE had fallen so far that it was never a question of of taking the side of some uh, undermined RTE executives or board members against their own minister. Um, you know, I think during my discussions there was there was almost a surprise that we should feel sorry for somebody in RTE after a lot of these people have dragged the, the reputation of that organisation through the mud over a period of time. And again, a number of ministers pointed me back to Catherine Martin's statements on the 26th of January where, in the wake of the Grant Thornton report, where she had said, uh, I jotted it down, um, she, the board would remain in place for now. Now, that is hardly the most ringing endorsement I ever saw of a board. And she also said that they were going to be kept around for, to provide some accountability. Uh, there was but never... just to be clear, the reports over the, 
over the weekend, particularly in, I think it's Sunday Business Post and some of the other papers, made it clear that the statements made by Minister Martin on that programme on Thursday night did not reflect mm -hmm. accurately what her department and her officials knew about the remuneration committee's role when it came to exit packages. And there was some good reporting over the weekend, but I, I, I would also posit that Catherine Martin still contests those accounts and contests the gravity of, for instance, the PAC being briefed in difference. And again, I think to the wider public, an awful lot of that is pedantry. When you're dealing with an organisation that has utterly dragged its own reputation through, through the mud, and we've We've had a but number of reports. But we're not to be clear, John, to, and to be it. fair. We're not talking about a whole organisation. We're talking about one individual's so, reputation here that's been shown new rallies and how that was impugned last so, week. So after those, and <laughs> far be it for me to defend the reputation of anyone, but the political pragmatic reality, whether anyone likes it or not, is that her, almost the entire cabinet have come out in her support. And I don't think, no matter what emerges over the coming days, uh, unless it's pretty momentous Catherine Martin is in any difficulty and I would also point out I was briefed over the weekend that the government doesn't really see a timeline between now and the general election for doing anything dramatic with RT anyway so all this talk of so politically on the record publicly there's all this talk of reform of RTE and and having a wonderful organization go to the, going into the future I don't see any of that happening and this will be fudged until the general election and nobody is going to force the removal of a Green Minister which uh, is different from the removal of, say, of a Fianna Fáil a Minister for Agriculture uh, a few years ago would, would cause the government to collapse, okay, I think, yet, very quickly. She will be scrutinised, won't she, when she comes in front of that media committee tomorrow evening for, for three hours? And she will have questions to answer, Terry Prone. Of course she'll have questions to answer, but she will survive. And she will survive for all the wrong reasons. She will survive, first of all, because, as John said, she's a green minister in a green ministry. And therefore, if you look at Eamon Ryan's situation, he, doesn't, he literally doesn't have a potential replacement. And more to the point, because she went up against him for the leadership, anything that he did, any action he took, would be seen as punitive and vengeful. So there is not a snowball's chance that she is going to be gone by the end of this week. The other thing is that I'm not sure that the scrutiny will be precise enough because in many cases we're looking at... We're looking at people tomorrow who are going to be grandstanding, who are going to be making speeches rather than asking questions. And this is and about... Detail, this isn't is it? About this detail. is about detail and dates and who knew what. And you need to be pretty forensic about that. And if you are forensic about it, I think there are questions to answer here about what the minister knew, about what her officials knew, or what they perhaps hadn't informed her. And Kira, I'd go further. Not just what she knew and what she was informed, but what questions she asked. Because if you have a situation where the minister has to ring a former secretary general to find out does her account match the account of Shuni Rahali, you have to say, first of all, wait a second. There must have been documentation in the department. Why didn't the minister scrutinise that first? And then secondly, what exactly did she ask the SecGen? So that there are a number of questions that need to be looked at. Did she ask those questions? Who did she ask them of? 
and when did she ask them? And just to be clear, that former Secretary-General, Catherine Lincoln, I don't think she's going to be appearing in front of that committee tomorrow, so we might never, I suppose, get full clarity on what happened here. Uh, Regina, given what we learned over the weekend, did she do the right thing by, let's face it, sacking um, Shunya Rally, sacking the, the chair? So I think if I was Minister Catherine Martin, I would very much regret going on primetime last Thursday and I would very much regret the answer that I gave because it was very unfair to Shuni Rallick who we, we talked before the programme started and none of us actually know of her, have met her, but just see the work that she's done in the last number of years since she joined the board in 2022 and has, in my opinion, tried very hard over the last number of months to unravel you know, a historic mess that none of us is happy with, but I think has done it with pride, you know, in not only her work, but also in, in trying to restore transparency, good governance, everything that she stands for within RTE's culture. And I don't think she deserved um, what, she, what she has received over the last number of days for what was probably a mistake. The minister asked her on Monday. Fair, she did make a mistake, yeah, didn't so she? Like, and the Taoiseach has said this evening that it is very, very difficult when you are sitting as a minister in an office, you have a chair of a public body coming into you and you can't trust that the information that you're getting from that person is accurate. So I, obviously you, you assume the information that people give you is accurate. But I don't think I would have gone on the programme on Thursday night without speaking to Shuni Rally. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have had that conversation with the wider public without having it with her first. And not to be smart, the minister could have pulled out of the programme. I know that might have upset producers or what have you, but I think... It does happen. I think the chair of RTE, given what she's attempted to do for the last, you know, 12 months, probably longer, I think she deserved better from us because she did only make a mistake. And by the same token, other people have obviously made mistakes because we now all know that not only did the PAC know that the remuneration package was signed off, um, but also officials in the department knew. Now, if officials in the department knew, then maybe the minister should have known she shouldn't she shouldn't have had to check last Monday and last Wednesday. But all of this, honestly, we, the, the package she, is still the same. The package so is still enormous. The transparency and you know the accountability is still not there. So should, should she remain in this role, Regina? Well, look, I, I think we are where we are now because it's, there's no going back from what happened last Thursday for any of them. But I'm is she the right person to continue overseeing, as you say, the mess that is in RTE? So, come here. The minister made a mistake last Thursday. It's not an offence that's enough for us to be having hearings tomorrow evening to talk about her future. She's been a good minister for the last four years and I'm absolutely sure she will continue to be. She made a mistake. But so did others make mistakes. But we're having this nearly grand trial over two women making a mistake when the facts of the evidence are still the same. We all know that people got packages that we probably feel they shouldn't have got. There isn't the transparency around them that we would like for probably legal reasons. But we are talking about a lady making one mistake on Thursday because another lady made a mistake on the previous Monday. But just As to be opposed clear, to talking about mm. the changes in the culture that we need to demand, the future funder, funding, if, if what uh, John says Regina, is true. Regina, with great respect, I do not believe that if you went on primetime in a, a similar situation, that you would later send out the word that you weren't expecting the confidence question, bull. Do you think the minister is inexperienced? Is that what we're seeing no, here? She's a minister for four years. She was a TD for five years before that. That's and, and is a mature woman. Like, we're not talking about a young lady here. We're talking about a woman that's my age, probably. So she's been around the block in a number of business settings and in political settings for a long, long time. We nearly She was nearly the leader of the Green Party a number of years ago. And so that's the level she's playing at. You know, this isn't about inexperience. Genuinely, I believe she made a mistake on Thursday night. And genuinely, I believe Shuni Raleigh made a mistake on Monday when she gave the minister incorrect information. Yeah, but there's but the there were other people in 
this conundrum that knew the information that could have been able to correct the information long before the minister went on to Okay, so two women made mistakes. One fell on their sword, one hasn't. One's and safe in, in their in job. A, in an incredibly True. public manner, for somebody to go on, and there is a power imbalance when you have a minister and then you have somebody who's answerable to the minister, and for the minister to go on national TV and effectively throw that person under the bus shows, I suppose, really poor judgment. And if she says that she didn't expect the question to come up, well, then that also calls into question her judgment of going on to prime time to do a live debate. If you're going to talk about the fact that the chair didn't give you this information, and clearly she was very annoyed about the fact that she didn't get that information, but Shuni Rahalik had rang her and had said to her, you know, I'm sorry, I actually made a mistake. Why did she not pick up the phone to the chair before going on prime time and say, listen, I, I am really angry. We're going to have a meeting in the morning, but I'm going on to TV. I need to know what exactly so, happened and why did you, you know, not recollect to give me that information? OK, but so, you are not, Sinn Féin are not putting down a motion of no confidence. We've, no, minister, we've no confidence in the entire government. So we'd like every minister to resign at this stage. We think t the best thing for the country would be an election. OK, um, but you have put down she, specific motions of no confidence. There was one in Helen McEntee a couple of weeks ago. Are you not putting down a motion of no confidence because that particular motion in Helen McEntee failed and backfired on you? No, is there a fear there, Lynn? No, what we'd like is for her to come into the doll and answer questions and uh, Podrick McLaughlin has actually uh, wrote that request now to the Ceann Corla to facilitate that Catherine Martin would come in and take questions and be answerable to the Dáil, so not just the, the committee, but to come in and answer questions in the Dáil on, as you said, who knew what, how did you have such poor judgment to go on and do a live show and to effectively uh, humiliate somebody in the public arena. But if you brought down Catherine Martin, would you not get that election that Sinn Féin say that they're so craving? Well, we have a private member's time to... Uh, Tuesday nights, I think, in the Dáil, and we're using that to put down a motion around the mental health services for young people. Last week, we used our PMB time around the scoliosis waiting lists. So you get opportunities to raise issues that are of extreme importance. So I think the first step for Catherine Martin is to come in and answer questions in the Dáil. Um, I don't think she is going to come in at this point, is she, John Lee, and answer questions in the Dáil? Um, I, it doesn't. It doesn't look like that. I think the first forum that may happen if she's a bad day out of the committee tomorrow that that she'd be um, be called in. But you, you see the the lack of um, uh, energy left in all of this. We have Regina Doherty representing the government, pretty much calling the minister's performance on TV last week a disaster. But and she regrets this and she regrets that. But you know we'll we, we'll we'll back her anyway because why not? Sinn Féin spectacularly saw a, a motion of confidence in uh, Helen McEntee backfire before Christmas, so they're not going to go down that path again. And again, it's not something I think Sinn Féin voters are hugely motivated by. So this is something I think everyone would, would wish it would go away. Um, but unfortunately, RTE, through its what, what Minister uh, Martin herself recently called utter dysfunctionality, is, is, is allowing it to continue. And, and let's not forget... Another person who saw his reputation trashed again last week, uh, Kevin Backhurst, remains in place. So there seems to be a general um, a, a agreement just to let this flow on to the general election and we don't take action against anyone. A minister who has, in, in the eyes of some of her government colleagues, performed very, very badly would be allowed to remain there. Uh, the opposition don't see a point in putting down a motion of confidence in her. So let's just keep on going. Um, what do you think she's going to be asked tomorrow? I hope she's going to be asked about every single 
incident along the way. John's paper has done some great work in the last week or so. So has the Sunday Independent, which in, in the form of Neil Horan did a fabulous minute by minute by minute thing. Everybody on that committee tomorrow should be reading that and going, OK, what did you do at this point? What I, can I make one point about the nature of the questioning? Short questions in random order to disrupt any learned of stuff. That's uh, free communications <laughs> clinic advice there for everybody at home and we haven't had to pay a, a penny for it. In terms of the next chair of the board, the Taoiseach uh, saying earlier today that he thinks that person can be in place by early next week. What qualities do they need to have, Regina? And do you think it's going to be a struggle to get somebody to take up that vacancy? If the minister yeah. does what she does again. I think, to be fair, um, there are a huge amount of people that are qualified for it. Whether they'll actually want it, given the current environment or not, is another, is another story. But obviously somebody needs to have uh, at the very centre of their heart an interest in public service and getting the culture in RTE back to where the public want it. We want to have trust in the public service broadcasting. We want to hear employees on the radio talking with pride about their organisation, not continuously hearing the union reps talk about how disappointed they are getting over one hurdle and then a couple of weeks or a couple of months later having to be, you know, be re-traumatised by more stuff that's coming out. We, we talk about having transparency. We still don't have it. We, we, we really do need it. I understand legal confidentiality. We have them in every walk of business life. But the overall topic needs to come from Kevin Backhurst. And I think we do have confidence in what he has done and what he is going to tell us that he is doing. But it is responsible for the minister to come up with a new funding mechanism to ensure that she has, you know, authority and responsibility for making sure that there is a future, a vibrant future for RTE and for public service broadcasting. And we're not, you're, you're telling me we're not hearing that. You're telling me that you don't think there's an appetite between there's, now and the election. Three, and that's not what I'm hearing from my government colleagues. So. There's three different positions within the government mm. on the future funding of RTE. The, you know, you hired experts, independent experts, to go away and look at this. They came back with proposals, which was general exchequer funding. You then dismiss that report. You have the minister saying she supports the general exchequer funding. You have, uh, I think, Fianna Fáil are saying that the TV licence is fine. Do you know I mean? We'll just reform that. And then you have Fianna Gael saying uh, something different. I think, is it a broadcast charge? So, like, the government hasn't even got its act together. So, it, like, it's really difficult for workers in RTE to have morale good morale when the government isn't mm. showing the urgency around putting in place a funding mechanism and backing up what they keep saying is public service broadcasting is essential, essential coming into elections and yet they're being left just drift and not know what but the future funding is. Just very, necessarily true because we have given them interim funding to tide over the deficits that they have. But they can we get to an agreement? But I do appreciate in, we, don't, we don't have an agreement. Keep saying they can't you plan anything. today in the Irish Examiner that no one in their right minds would take the gig, would take the chair of the uh, RTE board. But surely the next person will find themselves a lot more protected than Shuni Raleigh because they will never be publicly dumped in the way that she has been. Well, if you put somebody like Paul Reid in, Paul Reid, everybody knows him. He has come through a pandemic. He's very smart. He knows all the systems. Then I would suspect that if a Paul Reid went in, he would discover, oh, an awful lot of the brushwork has already been done and it's not going to be so bad. But I would not be putting in an idealistic innocent from uh, the PAS system.
Okay, who, you heard some speculation about who this person might be, and I wonder. Well, it was John Drennan, I should point out. It was John Drennan, but it was, it was in your paper yesterday. <laughs> I wholly agree with everything John said, only because he's far better briefed in these things than I. But um, I, I think David McRedmond was one mentioned. Um, Formerly of this parish. But where are we a, a, year, a year ago if we would have asked anyone in this country for, would they like one of the most prestigious roles in, in Irish business? I'm sure Terry Prone would have jumped at it. Chair of RTE, and they can't get someone to fill it? I mean, come on. How, how, how far is the reputation of this organisation plunged in yesterday? Year? Oh, Can I, I just look. say one thing? Oh, she's going to take it. Not dysfunctional. It is dysfunctional in the very top. RTE is managing to deliver all of the time the stuff that it's supposed to deliver. All right, OK, we're going to have to leave that conversation there for now, but I am sure we will return to it uh, tomorrow night. My thanks to John Lee and to Terry Prone. Up next, the cost of living crisis. Remember that? Is it nearing an end? Or are people still feeling the pinch? Stay with us. Welcome back. Well, two energy providers have announced further price reductions as competition in the market increases. Meanwhile, Ryanair warned holidaymakers will face higher airfares this summer due to capacity constraints. But what impact, if any, are these price fluctuations having on the cost of living crisis? Well, Fine Gael Senator Regina Doherty and Sinn Féin Senator Lynn Boylan have stayed with me and they are joined by the founder and CEO of price comparison website bunkers.ie. David Kerr. And just a reminder about our nightly live interactive poll, which allows you to have your say. Tonight we're asking, have you noticed the cost of living crisis easing? You can vote online on virginmediatelevision.ie forward slash vote or follow the QR code on screen and we will bring you the poll results later in the programme. I'm going to you uh, first, David. So this move today by uh, one of the prepaid providers and by Pinergy, the big question is, will it push the other providers to follow suit? Will we see a third cut in those pretty expensive energy rates? Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? The cost of our gas and electricity has never been really higher, and we're all feeling it very much in our household budgets every month. The good news that we've all seen a little bit from the end of last year and the start of this year is two things are happening. The first thing that's happening is standard prices are beginning to reduce, single or early double-digit figures, which is very, very welcome. But the second thing we're beginning to see, which we didn't really see at all last year, is discount prices are becoming available again. And that was sorely missing last year. So, for example, uh, a customer might see a 10% discount or 10% reduction in their standard rate. That's great. But if they shop around, they can actually make that a 20, 30, 40% uh, discount that they can avail of for free just by shopping around. So there's a massive amount of customers' um, um, loyalty that's not being rewarded. And that's the customer that should uh, shop around and, and actually get the deals that are there. As somebody who received a pretty whopper uh, bill today, I have to say, the energy suppliers that have cut and have cut on previous occasions, have they actually passed on those savings? Should we be seeing those in our bills now? So in our bills, we've come to the second of three uh, of the credits. And it's worth pointing out that the credits really did their job well for electricity uh, customers uh, this winter. Um, the reductions that we're seeing now, well, we're still at the second highest level of wholesale cost for electricity since 2020. So around about 100 euro per megawatt is the cost of generating electricity uh, right now. 
it was the lowest uh, in recent times in 2020 at 38 euro. Now it's 100. Um, so yes, we are seeing some of those prices being passed on to customers, not quickly enough. We do hope to see further reductions later on in the year. The two announcements today are very, very welcome. They join the back of a, of a raft of announcement over the last uh, weeks and months. But we do hope to see prices furthering to reduce for electricity and for gas for householders. But we are all. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. On the back of record prices, and that's very, very difficult for us to continue to swallow. Okay, so cumulatively, how much of a discount now have we enjoyed, but still how much higher are we paying than we were two years ago? So about four years ago, we were paying on average €1,000 per year for electricity. It's now around €1,800. So we're still about 80% higher than what are considered more normal times. And those more normal times were during the pandemic, by the way. So it's since the war in Ukraine, since the wholesale price of, of gas has skyrocketed. We're still feeling those issues and we're going to continue to feel them for another little while. Prices hopefully will return to 2020 levels. But right now, yeah, they're still about 80 percent higher than than even that recently. Even with the price cuts that even we've with, seen, even, even with, with these the price two, cuts, and in some cases, three price cuts, they're yeah, still 80 percent higher. higher. So they're a massive yeah. increase in people's budgets exactly. and household and, budgets. And even with the temporary reduction on VAT rates for energy bills from 13.5 down to nine as it is today. In terms of the wholesale um, prices not being passed on, what reason, what's the, the justification for that? Well, there's only one real justification for that, and that's prices were locked in some time ago. And so what wholesale prices are when they're bought ahead by the suppliers, they buy, let's say, at €100 Euro today for electricity, but that price is locked in for them, and they need to pass that on to their customers for, let's say, six months. In six months' time, when all of that price has been consumed, the price could be as low as 38 as it was in 2020. Uh, and hopefully in the future, uh, that will be the, the case. So it's, it's price positioning unwinding is, is what we're slowly seeing happening. OK, very briefly, Ryanair have come out today and said the summer flights are likely to go up by about 10%. But that is on top of really significant price hikes last year as well. Yeah, so 17% increase last year. They're blaming this year on what they're calling quite happily uh, capacity constraints, which is another way of saying the demand isn't as, uh, or sorry, is too high for the supply, so they can put their prices up. And so that's what they're going to do. So it's about 30% increase over the case, over two course years. of about two years. Yeah. 
on our, on our summer flights. Okay, to go back, I suppose, to um, these these bills that people, you know, don't really have a choice on when it comes to their electricity and their gas, and for a lot of people, their health insurance premiums. We'll be seeing great that our gas and our electricity seems to be coming down, but our health insurance premiums, if you can afford health insurance, is going up today to Lynn Boyland. So in some households, you're getting a break, but then you're getting stung in the next bill. Yeah, I mean, but what David is saying is not incorrect in that the hedging of gas is kind of responsible for high prices in energy. But even before the crisis, Ireland was more expensive for its electricity. And now we're now one of the most expensive in the EU, 70% higher than other European countries. Yes, we are an island, I mean, and we're heavily dependent on importing our, our fuels in. But there are other things that the government could be doing that would bring down the cost of energy for, for customers. One of those is around giving the, the, the regulator more oversight of those hedging practices, which happens in other EU countries. So they don't expect you to open your books completely. But at the moment, we just have to trust the word of energy companies that this is all down to just the fact that they banked in certain prices. Uh, the other issue is around the standing charges. The regulator has no control over that element of your bill. And Even though some of those standing charges have been reduced too, haven't they, David? Some of them have. In fact, the government doesn't control pricing on any element of your electricity bill other than the PSO levy, which they abolished for the next 12 months, by the way. Um, they also have control over the VAT rate, which they reduced from 13 and a half down well, to nine percent. Well, the PSO wasn't abolished. It's it's, it's, exactly it's in right. negative. It's in negative because we've more wind, and the wind was making high profits and paid it back. So yeah. I mean, that's the nature of the way the, the energy markets are. But we are more expensive for renewable energy. So renewable energy is cheaper, but we're still the most expensive in Europe for that as well. So there's a whole range of of areas where the government could be getting a greater handle on it, not just in the crisis, but just in the long term to bring down the cost of electricity. So they were more in line with the rest of our, our European countries. Uh, uh, politically, Regina, we don't hear this phrase, the cost of living crisis. We don't really hear it as much anymore. Does the government feel that people are now managing? I, I, I don't think that's true because it's something that comes up in my clinics literally on a weekly basis or by emails that people come to me. Um, a lady not dissimilar to yourself, obviously a lot older than you, received her gas bill a couple of weeks ago and it was €950. Euros. There are people who are still really struggling and I'd be really surprised if the answer to your poll is absolutely they can still see the cost of living crisis. But I, I would disagree with Lynn. You have to look at what government has done and, and Dave has talked about it um, to, to some degree. 2.6 billion euros in the last budget was to help people put more money back in their pockets, whether it's through tax cuts or USC cuts or direct payments to the 1.3 million people who rely on the social welfare department, whether they're pensioners um, or single parents or whatever it happens to be for their income every week. We've given three credits last year, three credits this year, which were really significant in making sure that people's ESB bills are more manageable. But we do still have an enormous price increase that hasn't been reflected on the fact that inflation has started to come back. The war, the impacts of it aren't as great from a financial perspective or from a supply perspective as they would have been 12 months, 18 months ago. And we're not seeing that in our bills. But, and this but nonsense, sorry for one second, this nonsense of, of Ryanair saying, you know, oh, they have to put their prices up this year. They don't. They're choosing to do so because there are more people who want to fly than there probably is, you know, the seeds for the bums to so be available. But that's a choice. there's companies out there who are just hiking prices there's, because there's, they can. We well, know that well, there are Fina, lots of companies Fina that Gale have done allowed it, health insurance companies increase the profit margin from 4.4% to 6%. No, sorry, the, you, you the, the market the isn't entirely you, regulated. You it's exactly changed, the same as what you look at what we're you, doing with broadband changed, companies at the moment and looking at the legislation to make sure that you can't just have an annual cost plus increase on a budget, on a plan every year. Of course government are doing this. The companies that are putting up their prices by 3% plus inflation mm -hmm. is pre pre specifically 
prohibited in other markets. Central Bank of Ireland brought in front of them all sorts of insurance companies for doing what's called price signalling. Yeah. That's exactly what that is. Well, well, and that's exactly what we're doing, is looking at making sure that that doesn't happen. So okay, let's let be very reactive with, to what still is a current cost of living crisis for lots of people in the country. But with the health insurance companies, Fine Gael increased the allowable profit from 4.4% to 6%. So that is a factor in premiums going up. The energy credits are working. Yes, absolutely, they do help. But if you look at the figures, this time last year, 220,000 households were in arrear. This time this year, it's 250,000. So there are people being left behind, even with those energy credits. Oh, well, actually, so we have to bring down the cost of energy overall. What is interesting, David, about the people in arrears is the people in arrears for their electricity versus those mm. who are in arrears for their gas. And mm. those with gas bills in arrears, it's a far, far bigger yeah, percentage, so just isn't under, it? Just under one in four are in arrears in their gas bill. 22% of all gas accounts are in arrears. 11% uh, for electricity accounts. Now, obviously, that's because the credit was put on the electricity side, not the gas side, because everyone has electricity, not everyone has gas. So it was the fair thing to do. But in terms of the amount that people are in arrears, we don't actually have those we figures, do we? Don't, we just know that they are in arrears. We don't know by how much, and that's actually very concerning. Um, are you going to be able to do anything for those people, for those 22% of people out there, uh, Regina, who have gas arrears? So I think, so we've, we've seen two budgets now of the government responding to what is a very unusual situation. And I think we've done a, a relatively good job, particularly when you look at the vast amounts of money and the spread of the response across the government. It hasn't just been on tax or it hasn't just been to social welfare. We've had huge business um, supports. We've looked at different various sectors of the market. We look, uh, last week I saw, and I thought this was a cute phrase from the Minister um, for Transport, the rooftop revolution. We have an enormous amount of solar coming online. Now, actually, there are small things we could do there. If we wanted to have a new solar farm in the morning, you can only access the grid for two weeks once a year. We should be able to access the grid for two weeks every month if that's what you want to do. So there still are things that we can do to improve the supply of much cheaper, much greener energy to people so that it's less um, expensive and more affordable for them. And government are looking to, do thing, you know, to, to change things like that. You can see the pan-European um, projects that have been worked on with regard to solar and wind. Um, with you know, uh, Mediterranean companies and, and Northern companies. We're doing everything that we can. But in the, middle, in the middle of the crisis, the government and the state supports will continue because they have to continue as long as the crisis but you, you're simultaneously oh. driving up electricity demand and making us more reliant on gas by the proliferation of data centres. That is affecting the cost yeah, of people's true. electricity bills. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That is absolutely... And I know we're never, going to, we're never going to agree on Regina, whether the data, is country the data centres or not. If, if we it's have a 20% increase in electricity, demand. Okay, we well, have to get you know, that electricity okay, for gas and the gas. Well, it's on Bonkers' website as well. Agree with me. So it's not just people at home will just be wondering, I suppose, what's going to happen with our gas and electricity for the rest of this year. What is your prediction, David? I'd say further reductions over the course of the year for standard rates and more discount rates being available to people who want to take them. And when, I mean, I just think, what, what percentage, how much is my pretty colossal uh, energy bill going to come down I, by? I would hope your, your average electricity bill would go down to roughly €1,500 Euro from the €1,800 Euro that it is now. OK, so a further 30% reduction. OK, give or take. Now, let me just see um, our nightly interactive poll. Tonight's question was, have you noticed the cost of living crisis easing? Well, in fairness, you did predict this, Regina. The result of that poll was 10% of people said yes, 89% of people said no, and 1% of people are not sure. David, I wonder, though, when it comes to the election, and it's going to be this year, does cost of living, does the cost of your bills feed into how people vote? I'd say absolutely yes. People are very, very um, focused on their households when it comes to their vote. 
and what and they have in their back pocket at the have. end of the month, if so anything. Pe- people worry about putting the, putting the roof over their head. So that's the mortgage rates that are increased uh, 10 times. That is the cost of living in terms of their grocery bill, in terms of their, their gas, their electricity. People vote on their individual household basis, as well as on the good of society basis, but that is secondary. All right, look, we're going to have to leave that there for now. My thanks uh, to David Kerr. After the break, is Ireland too hostile towards Israel? We debate. You're very welcome back. Well, in a recent article for the Jerusalem Post, journalist Amots Asael compared Taoiseach Leo Vradker to a flat earther and argued that improved British relations and a violation of UN resolutions had contributed to anti-Israel sentiment here in Ireland. But is Ireland really hostile? towards Israel. Will Fine Gael Senator Regina Doherty and Sinn Féin Senator Lynn Boylan have stayed with me to discuss this and joining them down the line is the author of the piece, Amots Azael. Amots, you are very welcome to the programme. Uh, the headline in the piece reads, Ireland's hostility towards Israel must be stopped. Fed by self-importance, ignorance and malice, Ireland's abuse of Israel has gone from tragedy to farce. Can you explain your thinking? Yes, when we in Israel see that uh, your uh, national basketball uh, women's team uh, refuses to shake the hands of their Israeli rivals, uh, we feel mistreated and deeply insulted. When we see that um, hundreds of uh, Irish artists call to boycott Israel, um, by the way, well before what is happening right now in Gaza, regardless of it, uh, we feel insulted when we see that the uh, city council of Dublin calls uh, to boycott Israel. Uh, we feel insulted and offended. Uh, there are several uh, references to Irish history in the copy that you've uh, written. You've said uh, not one of you have ever populated a battlefield, dodged a bullet, attended a fallen soldier's funeral or suffered war's grief, that Irish people who support uh, Palestinians have no sense of what war is. But you don't, I suppose, recognise or acknowledge in the peace at all um, the troubles in Northern Ireland that so many people here will have no, first-hand experience. Ireland. You're the Republic of Ireland. I spoke about the Republic of, of Ireland. They're the ones that come to us with all these uh, grievances. We're discussing them, not Northern Ireland. But many of us, I suppose, would know people within Northern Ireland okay, who you have... know those people. But, but once again, when your national team, as the representative of the, of the Republic of Ireland, behaves the way it does, I discuss them and what they represent. That's not about Northern Ireland. Um, you also say within the piece that Ireland can't teach you anything about the morbidity of war and we can't t- teach you any uh, lessons of peace. But there is peace in Ireland. Surely um, the Irish could teach you more than many other countries. No, we have learned that lesson and um, and admirably so. And we do take inspiration from your own two-state solution. It is what us Israelis, most of us, do espouse and dearly want and have indeed formally and practically and repeatedly placed 
on the counter in diplomatic negotiations with the Palestinians. It happened in 2000 at Camp David in the presence of Bill Clinton when Israel offered a Palestinian state in both the West Bank and Gaza and was rejected flatly. And instead of um, beginning at least a negotiation, they turned to war. That was a second intifada. Then the same thing repeated itself in 2007, when Ehud Olmert negotiated with uh, Mahmoud Abbas and once again placed all the goods on the counter. We offered the Palestinian state. We offered the territorial compromise. And I personally, as a columnist, publicly backed it and still back that formula. That's that's not what this is about. Um, you've said there that the Irish basketballs team's position in refusing to shake the hands um, with some of the Israelis and our Taoiseach's reaction to the return of Emily Hand are proof of the hostility. But do you not think that perhaps the death toll that so many of us have seen in Gaza, the death toll which is now reaching almost 30,000 and the egregious loss of life, that that might explain some of the lack of support that you have seen from the Irish people? Well, this is the most frustrating thing. You think anyone in Israel is happy about this death toll? And for, this is besides the fact, by the way, that the figure is, is questionable. Nobody went and, and impartially counted the bodies, but set that aside. Think about the substance of the ratio as you presented. No doubt, more Palestinians are killed or uh, have been killed in recent months in the fighting because Israel is winning, fortunately. But the fact that it is killing more people has nothing to do with morality. Let me tell you this, in World War II, the United States lost 260,000 soldiers fighting on both the Japanese and the European fronts. The Japanese lost 1.2 million people, more than four times as many as the Americans lost. Does that mean that the Americans were unjust and the Japanese were just? What do, what do these numbers have to do with justice? This is about warfare. It's a separate discussion. Just to be clear, Amos, do you believe Israel is winning at the minute? Do you? Is this what you define as a win? Oh, this is, uh, I said militarily. Militarily speaking, our aim in this uh, confrontation in Gaza, when I say our aim, I mean all Israelis, including ones like me who oppose this government. Our aim in this uh, response to our invasion last uh, fall is to reach each and every one of the warriors that we face over there, each and every one of the missile launchers that they aim at us, each and every one of the tunnels in which they hide and destroy them. This is the enemy we face. This is the enemy that has attacked our people. They've murdered our babies. They've raped our women. They've torched our houses. They've invaded our land. That's what they did, and this is how we're responding. So militarily speaking, to answer your question, I think we are winning. We need patience, but we are winning. Okay, Diplomatically just... or politically, that's an entirely separate discussion. And over there, I think that we're hardly at the beginning of the road. And um, uh, what lies ahead, I wish I could predict. Okay, let me just put some of the points that you have made, Amat, uh, to our politicians here. Regina, do you believe Ireland has been unfairly biased against Israel? I don't. I think Ireland and the Irish people have always had an affinity with the Palestinian people because of the way the Israeli people have treated them um, for many, many years. And the last couple of months have been... I mean, I've, I've listened to Amos talk about being insulted and offended. The last three months have seen the brutal murder 
of nearly 30,000 innocent civilians and children as a byproduct uh, of the Israeli IDF trying to get to the terrorists. Now, I absolutely understand why they would need to get to the route and to try and wipe them out. But the disregard of innocent women and children and men in that pursuit it's absolutely breathtaking. I think my blood is nearly boiling mm. listening to the justification of AMOTS. Like, insulted. Get over yourself with your insult. 30,000 people, innocent people, are killed in the last number of months in Israel's pursuit to get to a small number of, ha of Hamas terrorists. And you've no regret. You've no, you've, no, you've no sympathy towards the people that you've killed. It's nearly like they get in the way. And your justification is, is that Hamas actually used them as a human shield and put them in the way. So that's, you know, that's nearly tough luck. It's okay. appalling and we are appalled. Okay, let Amos uh, respond to that. Well, how would you fight this war I if wouldn't. you face an enemy that is aiming a missile at your own child and that enemy is hiding behind its own population? How would you fight it? Tell me what the method is. Certainly because we not would in like the way that Israel have done for the last four months. Method. Certainly not in the way one. that you have done That's so. the problem. And in fact, this method of fighting the enemy, even if the enemy is hiding behind population is legal as far as the laws of war is you concerned. That's actually even worse. Yes, no. that's you even don't worse. know the laws of war, then look them up. That's okay, even worse. the question is about proportions. That there, That is indeed a discussion, but the very fact that civilians get killed in wars, that's what happens in wars, especially if the enemy's tactic and strategy is to you have to ask why we feel the way itself. we feel about the Israeli response. And here's where Honestly. you're more fundamentally mistaken. When you identify with the Palestinians the way you just did, you assume that their cause is nationalistic, as indeed Israelis like me assumed when we negotiated with them in good faith about the two-state solution. And as we would like to believe still that most of them are, that their cause is basically nationalism. But what we, we currently face Okay. And you, to my astonishment, are backing. It's not about nationalism. Okay, let me just no. move it's forward to... It's about fundamentalism. Okay. These people are driven by religious triumphalism. Okay, let They're me just... Jihadists. Sorry, Amos, let and me just bring in Lynn Boyle in here. But... to impose their faith on the rest of mankind, okay. including Christians, including Ireland. Okay, at, at any point, Lynn Boylan, does Israel have the right to defend themselves? I'm sitting in shock here listening and, and I'm like Regina, my blood is boiling because we are seeing children, innocent children blown to bits. Children who are getting the limbs amputated without pain, without anaesthetic because of the blockade. And I was in Palestine in 2015 with Operation Protective Edge and I witnessed with my own eyes aid being prevented from getting into Gaza when Israel decided to, as they say, mow the lawn. And that's what they do. Every few years they go in and they bulldoze. But do you think we have, has Shin been pulverized? slow to recognise the terror that has been inflicted by Hamas? Everybody has condemned October 7th. Everybody has condemned. That does not just justify going in and slaughtering innocent women and children. It, absolutely nothing justifies it. And it's rich for AMOTs to talk about law and what's legal in a war. They don't respect the International Court of Justice. They have tried to undermine the UN and UNRWA. So they, they, they think that they can act whatever way they like, because Israel has been allowed to act whatever way it likes. And that has to change. There has to be sanctions. There has to be consequences for any state that goes rogue. And at the moment, under Netanyahu's okay. government, 
Israel has become a rogue state. OK, I just want to bring some uh, breaking news from Associated Press this evening. That President Joe Biden has said that m from Monday, he hopes a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas um, that would pause hostilities and allow for remaining hostages can be, uh, be taken into effect. Can I get your uh, reaction to that, uh, Amos? A ceasefire from that. Monday. I would welcome that. I, I hope he's right. Uh, it's... Um... It's what we all here are praying to witness. What do you think it will take for that to be a permanent uh, ceasefire? Because I don't think anybody wants to see the temporary ceasefire, the release of hostages, and then for these attacks, um, these quite heinous attacks, to resume again. No, there will be no... There will, there will, you have to separate between two things. Between a deal that will free Israel's hostages and will temporarily... Uh, cease uh, the fighting in Gaza, between all that and between a longer-term arrangement in Gaza. A longer-term arrangement cannot include Hamas. They're jihadists, they're out to annihilate us, they're out to totally um, uh, delegitimize our existence in our right. ancestral land. It's okay. not going to be with them this deal. Uh, Amos, I have to come cut across you there because we've run out of time. That is it uh, from us this evening. My thanks to Regina, to Lynn, to Amos and to all of my guests from the late team here. Good night, everyone. Do Take care. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.